I think we're on. Hey, Justin. Great to have you here. Hey, yeah. Great to be on. Welcome, everyone. Today on the podcast, we have the founder of Matrix, Justin Jeng, also known as Jay-Z, with us to talk about gaming, GameFi, and fan ownership. I'm particularly excited because I've spoken with Jay-Z before, and I think um, Jay-Z has some very interesting thoughts about GameFi design that he has integrated into his project, Matrix. So before we start, well, we have to go through the disclaimers. Nothing said here is to be taken as financial advice. Myself and my relations may or may not have positions in the projects interviewed on this podcast. Do your own research, and this podcast is simply for educational and entertainment purposes. So having gotten that out of the way, let me get an introduction for Matrix. Matrix is a protocol that allows fans to own the brands that they are consumers of by leveraging the possibilities enabled by DeFi and decentralized governance. Matrix gamifies fan engagement for creators and other digital brands, thereby allowing these brands to monetize normal fan activity through free-to-play game paradigms, such as battle passes and loot boxes. Eventually, Matrix aims to allow people to own and govern the teams that they love. Thank you for joining us. So um, to jump off, can you give us an introduction of yourself? What was your background? How do you get into crypto? What motivated you to build Matrix? Yeah, yeah, so definitely. Um, so I actually got into crypto super early on. Um, I think I first bought Bitcoin when I was in middle school. Uh, so that was years and years and years ago where I really just saw like the price of Bitcoin going up. I was like, oh, you know, if I buy some Bitcoin, maybe I can buy more games in the future. Um, so I did that, bought Bitcoin, um, price did go up, uh, and then as I was starting high school, I think my first year of high school, I saw this other coin, it was called Ethereum, and I think it was talking about like a global computer or something, and I didn't really know what that meant, but it sounded interesting, so I bought Ethereum at I think a bit under $7, I bought a lot of Ethereum, um, and unfortunately for me, I sold all of it at $21. Uh, so <laughs> lost, lost a few million probably there. Um, but even so, I think as I looked more into Ethereum, I got pretty, pretty interested in it, pretty invested in how it works, um, invested in like an academic sense. And I was also like a pretty big esports fan, right? Um, so... In esports, I would talk about this more in depth later, but I think there's all these issues around like team ownership and team management that I thought that crypto could do a really good job of facing. I mean, could do a really good job of uh, solving. Um, so yeah, but because I played games, League of Legends, whatever, I was into esports, I really wanted to combine these two things into one product. So I started working on that. I founded a company, an esports team, actually, to try to solve this problem while I was in high school. Um, that didn't work out too well because I was stupid and I was in high school. I didn't know what to do. Um, so, yeah, worked on that for a bit. That didn't work out. I ended up working for a few other crypto startups. I did a fellowship at IDEO. I did two fellowships at IDEO, actually. Um, and then right before I graduated high school, I actually ended up raising money for um, for another company, which was like this biometrics thing. We would let you take your Bitcoin private key, uh, encrypt it with your, your facial recognition data, your fingerprint, your iris, whatever. Uh, we would take that and then we'd store that away for you. But then it turned out I didn't know anything about biometrics. I wasn't the right person to start a biometrics company. So we pivoted back over to eSports and then several pivots later, um, we, we came up upon this, which we've been working on ever since. 
Okay. Can you give us a high-level description of what uh, Matrix is? Yeah, yeah. So essentially, our core belief is that if you are engaged with a brand, if you are consuming a brand, you should also be an owner of that brand. So for example, we think that you watch a sports team, watch an esports team, listen to a certain musical artist, um, or watch like a content creator, you should get ownership in that brand. So what we do is we allow these brands to create missions or quests, which are actions that um, help that brand out. So things like watching their stream, buying their merchandise, uh, retweeting them. And when a fan completes those actions, they then earn ownership in that brand itself. Can you explain a little bit um, what ownership means? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it could be this entire spectrum, right? So on one end, ownership could just be literal, like, legal ownership. It's essentially a share in the company. But, of course, a lot of companies don't want to do that. They don't want to just distribute ownership, like, pure ownership of their company that early to other fans. Uh, so it could go all the way down to ownership means that users, the fans, can vote on a few things that the company says are okay. Um, so like they can vote on a jersey color, things that will permanently damage the company. Um, and then there's also other things within that where it's like, oh, well, maybe uh, fans can get a portion of the revenue. But then it's like, what percentage of that revenue goes to fans? Is that decided by the fans? So it's really like, it's really whatever the brands think will attract fans and whatever they're comfortable with giving the fans. I see. So not being a gamer myself, which is quite a shame, can you explain to me, and people like me, why do people want to own gaming teams or want to own the brands that they consume? What does it mean to a gamer, specifically, I suppose, to own a brand? And for listeners who aren't familiar with gaming, can you give us some color on what goes on inside a esports team in terms of operation and management? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think... At least the esports teams I've talked to, they're run like basically like most companies are today, most sports teams, um, where you have like managers, they decide what to do. Uh, and then for the most part, I think this has been working well for the past few years. The problem is a lot of these esports teams, and it's not just esports, I think it's really any brand at all. It's any entertainment source, like going from esports to traditional sports to music to uh, traditional art. Um, you know, you see like a lot of people like Kanye talking about this, like wanting to like take things back from his masters or whatever, where they want ownership mm -hmm. to be like redistributed from whoever currently owns it. Uh, so, I mean, going back to esports, we, we see all these problems where, okay, well, the management makes decisions, but that's frequently like very disconnected from one, what the fans want and what is actually good. And then the reason for this is because the owners of these esports teams are not gamers themselves. They're not esports watchers themselves. They're like these hedge funds or these like private equity funds that just want to own teams because they think they'll make the money. Uh, so then we see all sorts of problems with this where like, you know, I think just why um, like two weeks ago, uh, like really good coach of this one team was fired and they didn't provide any information on why that happened. So then, of course, like, this is going to anger fans. Of course, this is not look good for the team, and it's probably not good for the team either. Um, and then you see even worse things, like players being fired like, right before a world championship for whatever like, internal conflict reason. Um, and then you even see like, criminal action, where I think uh, a League of Legends team a while ago 
actually just took away the passports of their players and refused to pay them, and then the players couldn't do anything about it. So, like, esports is just, like, one example of where you see, like, this unethical action because the owners are so disconnected from the, from the fan base. Um, I think there are a lot of good owners out there, and then using, like, this fan ownership model is just a way to keep these teams good and to show your fans that you trust them and that they can trust you to be ethical and to make good actions. I see. Um, can you tell us more about what are some of these rights guaranteed to the owners of, of brands and how they're insured to, uh, through the architecture of the protocol that you're building? Yeah, so the nice thing with smart contract is that we can provide ownership to fans and they know that can't be changed without some sort of like predefined, um, predefined system, right? So for example, we can say, well, if you have ownership of this brand, that guarantees you a vote on how a treasury is spent. Uh, then the fans will know, okay, well, they can never take away that. Um, as long as the code is written correctly, they can never take away that voting privilege. And then, of course, like, well, maybe the treasury got shut down, so then that's a risk you take as a fan. Um, so then we can also write things like, oh, well, for all on-chain sales, like 10% of those sales will always go into the treasury, and then the fans will know that's going to be true forever and ever and ever. Uh, I think secondary to that, just as importantly as the um, the digital, the software-based uh, guards against like misbehavior, is actually like the financial incentives too. So if a team is selling a token to its fans or giving a token to its fans, then the token will have a certain price to it. And then the price of that token depends on like how many people want to buy that token, obviously. And if the team or the brand was to start acting unethically and disobeying the contract, the social contract or whatever, set by the token holders, then that token price drops. So then as long as that brand has like a financial interest in that token, then they're pretty incentivized to not do things that are going to crash the token or uh, make the token less worthwhile to hold. I see. Why wasn't this, um, so why do you think brand ownership um, by fans wasn't that possible in Web2? And what, why is it particularly possible in crypto? Is it because simply because of smart contracts or is it uh, something beyond? Were there uh, Web2 implementations and what were some um, uh, problems that they faced? Yeah, so there's definitely Web2 implementations of, uh, of fan ownership, right? We see this in a lot of places. So like Green Bay Packers, the American football team, is technically fan-owned. Um, is it really fan-owned? Like, not really. It's very symbolic. I would think we'll go into why crypto can fix that. Uh, looking at, like, a lot of European football teams, FC Barcelona, they're, they're fan-owned, among many others. Uh, looking at companies themselves, there's, like, co-op companies, like REI, which are uh, owned by, like, the workers, owned by the buyers there. And then, so then we can ask, like, what does crypto uniquely enable here, right? Like, why do we even need crypto at all? Well, a large problem of these things with the Packers is that, sure, you have ownership, but you can't actually do anything with it because it's, like, very mm -hmm. hard to vote in person. You're not going to go to meetings. Um, it's hard to, like, try different governance strategies. So this, like, just happens to be, like, an oligarchy. Um, but with crypto, we can actually distribute ownership fairly. We can make sure a wide amount of people can have access to it and that a wide amount of people can do something with it we can distribute profits, we can distribute the tokens, whatever. Like, we, like, obviously there are huge changes to the world because of digital things. Like, the internet made things that were never possible before possible. Crypto just does exactly the same thing, but for, like, what was previously in, like, non-digital financial 
instrument or in um, previously like physical domain, so like physical voting or physical corporation. Crypto does like does the that what internet did to the rest of the world. I see. Um, let us talk a little bit about uh, more about the architecture. Like, what are some things that you can use? What are, to implement this um, fan ownership infrastructure? Like, uh, are you going to use NFTs, or is it going to be a, some kind of staking pool, or is it going to be a funny combination of this and that? Can you give us some color there, or is it um, a little bit still something in the works, or uh, something that's still secret? Uh, it's both, right? It's like in the works and we have an idea because we want to try a lot of different things out and different things are going to work for multiple people. So yeah, I think one thing we can do is tie voting directly to NFTs. Each NFT gives you like a certain amount of voting power. And that's cool because like you have this narrative thing to it, like having five votes is pretty boring, but having like a sword that gives you five votes is a lot more exciting. And then having NFTs along with the metadata and the graphics allows us to attach like narrative value to something that had pure like point-based or governance-based or like financial-based value before. Um, at the same time, like obviously it's very simple to set up like a token voting system that works well. Uh, we do want to try a lot of different governance methods of trying things like liquid democracy, trying things like prediction markets. I don't think we know the correct way to run governments yet. Uh, so that's something that we definitely want to try out a lot. Okay. Do you think... Um... I'm sure you've heard about this idea of soul-bound NFTs. Yeah, that, yeah. Um, so um, what do you think of them, and do you think there is any kind of implementation or use case in your particular yeah. protocol? Oh, yeah, absolutely, right? I think some companies, some brands are going to want to make it so you can't just buy voting power because then you have the issue mm -hmm. of non-fans coming in, buying stuff, making votes. Uh, you have the issue of, like, hostile attacks where you just buy tokens, get tokens somehow and vote on things that like drain the treasure or whatever. So Soba NFTs allow us to uh, attach them to like reputation to people that can't be removed and can't be traded. So you get like a lot more guarantee that whoever got the NFT got the NFT because of what you wanted them to do to get it. Can you tell us more about how you uh, uh, increase and optimize the gamification element inside your platform? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so right now we use this battle pass system, which a lot of mobile games use. Fortnite has used a great effect, where there's these levels, and as people complete quests, which by and of itself are this gamified element, you do these actions to get points. You're able to rank up on this pass and open like loot boxes from like gotcha games. So like we basically we borrow a lot of things from like mobile games, a lot of things from different games that like just are fun mechanics, and then we test them out and we try to put them on chain uh, and do like things with them to make our product more fun. Um, I think in the future, we'll look to add things like multiplayer stuff, like maybe you can compete with other brands, uh, add things like leaderboard to compete with each other. Uh, like, if you look at the world of gaming, games have been here for a very, very long time. They've had to compete with each other for monetization. The games that didn't use correct monetization methods all died out. So if we look at games today, I think we have really, really good monetization strategies that we can use to, um, to unlock these like crypto-based systems for everyone. I see. So let's talk a little bit about NFTs and games. I'm not yeah. a gamer myself, but as I understand, it seems that some gamers are really, really angry towards NFTs. They're really against uh, the integration of NFTs into their um, games, even if their games already have an in-game economy. So why? Uh, can you explain to us why is that? 
what is the rationale or the uh, mechanism behind that kind of group psychology? And how does that antagonism impact a project like you? And what are some of the ways that you can perhaps mitigate that? Yeah. So I think the primary reason why we see such a huge backlash against NFTs in gaming is because there's been a lot of scams within the gaming space, right? But the gaming space is full of scams. Um, and it's also full of like games like doing real like DLC stuff to exploit to exploit um, gamers themselves. Uh, I think there's a reason why when we see NFTs in music, like we just did a launch with Warner Music Group, um, it was received like pretty well because we haven't seen the same amount of scams, the same amount of exploitation happen in the music space. Uh, can you uh, yeah. can you describe some of these gaming scams to us? Like, what do they look like? How do they um, how do they work? Oh yeah, um, I don't know. If scam is the best way to put it. I think a lot of gaming will argue that it's not scam. It's monetization strategies. Where, um, but of course, gamers describe it differently. Where <clears throat> these uh, these games will make people continuously pay for them, pay for stuff, right? Like, they try to get every cent out of the gamer. So you see this in microtransactions. You see these in, like, exploitative loot boxes, like, weird odds. Um, like, this is even illegal in some places now, like, not publishing loot box odds, because they're so exploitative. They, like, take such advantage of, like, our, like, love for gambling and stuff. Uh, so when gamers see... When gamers see companies trying to sell them more things... Well, of course, they immediately jump to, oh, well, how is this going to be used to, like, fish more money out of me? When, for, like, a lot of the use cases, NFTs aren't just this money-grabbing scheme. They actually make the game itself, I think, more fun, more exciting, and adds an extra layer to the game. Uh, but it's hard to see it that way when a lot of these new features have just been, like, money grabs. And then, I guess the second question was, like how do we how do we prevent this? How do we get like rehabilitate the image of NFTs? I think a big part of that is one, just don't make exploitative things. Um, making games where NFTs actually play a good role is pretty important. And then two, I think like why call them NFTs at all? Like when we look at images and stuff, we don't call them JPEGs or PNGs. We just call them images. Like why not just call them what they are? Like call something collectible. If it's a weapon NFT, call it a weapon. If it's like a clothing NFT, call it a cosmetic or a piece of clothing or whatever. Um, there's no need to jump into like this technical jargon that just makes things more complicated, makes things more confusing, and makes it harder for people to adopt. I think one of your, the founding thesis for your project, as you have told me before, is that um, there's the money spent on eSport is significantly lower than in traditional sports or even just video gaming. So um, yeah. you also talked about increasing and encouraging tribalism to achieve that. So I think I have several questions here bundled together. Mm -hmm. The first question is that why is the money spent on esports so much lower than in traditional sports and video gaming? And the second uh, question is that how does tribalism help to increase monetization and what can you do to uh, configure matrix architecture and functionality to encourage that tribalism? Yeah. Um, so the first question was why, why is eSport earning so much lower than traditional sport earning? I think there's a lot of theories for this. The one that I think is the truest is that with traditional sports, there's this huge aspect of in-person tribalism, right? We like sports teams because they're in our country. If not that, we like sports teams because they're in our city. 
And this is like this really, really, really intense feeling. Like people get into physical fights over these things. Like people beat each other up over over a team where their only connection to it is that they live close by. Um, so sports, we have this like biologically like powerful feeling to support our home team because we are of that tribe. It's literally a life or death thing to support this team um, because of how we evolved. Now, when we look at esports, the same thing doesn't hold true anymore. Like, esports, for the most part, for most tournaments, aren't very location-based. Um, they don't really look to lean into their location tribalism because, like, games are remote. You don't have to travel to see them. You just play online. Um, and, like, culturally, these games haven't really been, like, in-person, like, heavy things uh, other than, like, there's a few venues out there. So if I'm an esports fan, what possible reason could I have to support one team over another. And then a lot of people say, oh, well, I like that player. But then when that player leaves, then that team has no, like, no draw to it anymore. Um, so we've gone from traditional sports having this biological life or death tribalism to esports where there's literally just no reason to support one team over another one. Uh, so then, like, how can we use Matrix to do this? Not just for esports, but for any brand. Like, how can we have people be like super loyal super committed to a certain brand that's a really fun feeling people want that and it's really good for brands too uh so what we can do is we can actually replace location based tribalism with ownership based tribalism which i think personally is even more powerful right instead of liking a team because you live near it instead of like buying a brand because it's like a hometown brand or because like the product is just better advertised or whatever you buy that brand, you support that team because you're part of the team, you're part of the brand. You have ownership in it. And of course, you're going to support the teams more. Of course, you're going to support the brands more when you're literally part of it, when you're literally an owner in it. I suppose the uh, dynamic that we want to uh, replicate in this project or when we want to encourage uh, users and consumers to own the brand that they consume would be very similar to what we have seen so far in the Board 8 Yacht Club, where uh, owners feel that they're uh, owners of a, of a Board 8 feel that they're in this game, they're, they have skin in the game, and that they literally um, have a community to share them with and they are very loyal to it. I suppose, uh, speaking about um, tribalism, speaking on about tribalism and how, well, f uh, uh, tribalism in, in traditional sports manifests itself almost physically and sometimes even violently. Do you yeah. ima ima imagine that there could be similar uh, dynamics in the crypto world where um, one team gets really angry with another because of the history of uh, fighting and competition that they had? And how might some of these um, comp uh, how might some of these interactions manifest themselves online? Or in short, do you imagine that some kind of some kind of crypto version of football hooliganism happens <laughs> on on online? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I think if we look at maximalism, we actually have a really good example of this. Like Bitcoin maximalism is just tribalism through ownership online with like huge fan bases. Uh, and then you see also like flame wars and like fights online happen over this. And you do see some of it with, like, traditional sports because that also has reach online, too. It's not like people are only watching sports in person. Um, so, yeah, I think we would see a lot of it. And one outlook on that is, well, yeah, you know what drives engagement? Like, anger drives engagement. Like, people doing this just makes us tons of money. But I think that's, like, a fairly unethical way of looking at things. I think we want to create systems where people can fight each other. They can battle each other 
in like a fun cathartic way instead of like literally being violent to each other so like things like where they can compete with each other for points and stuff um are stuff that we want to build where we can take that tribalism and direct it into something that's fun for like all parties involved and not just like toxic i see well, let's talk a little bit about loot. I'm sure that loot was a major zero to one moment of inspiration for you as much as it was for others. Well, what loot demonstrated was that um, was the unique potential of NFTs in allowing others to continuously build on something else that they themselves did not um, invent or build. And, and in allowing that, it allows continuous value accrual and innovation as we have seen in realms and treasure. So can you tell us if you had drawn any inspiration from that? And what are some ways that Matrix can replicate loot-like dynamics or structures to keep Matrix growing beyond what the team has envisioned? Yeah, yeah. I think loot was very inspirational. I think projects like loot continue to be very inspirational. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier about why we use blockchain, things like distributed ownership and stuff. But I do think the most important thing about blockchain to us is like this idea of composability. Um, this like Lego system uh, where, you know, we talk about DeFi Legos all the time where different protocols can hook in with each other and you can do really cool things there, uh, things that were never even dreamt about before. Uh, I think we start seeing the same thing happen like more consumer products away from DeFi where people can just build whatever they want on top of the Matrix platform. They can put in whatever rewards they want into the Matrix platform. The NFTs we release, people can build whatever they want on top of that. So like, for example, let's say you're a fan of a certain team and we release an NFT for that team and that NFT comes with like some metadata that we provide like graphics, uh, voting power, whatever. Well, the fans of that team are now free to take those NFTs and build whatever they want with it. They can build like an exclusive like fan club that you need the NFT to enter. They can build mini games. Uh, they can build, you know, like merch that physical merch that only goes to these holders. And then as Matrix, we can profit off that by making tools. But like, hey, maybe we sell these merch printing services to them. Maybe we sell these um, mini-game creation services to them. Um, so I think this idea of composability is really, really huge. Uh, if we look at video games, again, I think video games have figured a lot of things out. If we look at video games, a lot of the big games today, games like Fortnite, games like League of Legends, all of these games came from mods or modifications of games that came before it. Uh, games that, for the most part, we've like really forgotten about. Like No one knows about these games anymore. No one plays these games anymore. But people modified these games to create the games that we play today. Uh, and then, like, what's the lesson we can draw from that? I think a big lesson is, yeah, you really want to encourage a culture of modding. You want to encourage a culture where people can build on top of you, where people can do cool things with you. Um, but... What we also need to learn from that is just because people build on top of you doesn't mean that you survive. And we as Matrix want to survive and we want our brands to survive too. So what we can do with crypto is we can actually ensure that when people are modding on top of us, we can capture some of that value to keep ourselves alive, keep ourselves thriving, and keep the brands under us thriving as well. I see. Um... Speaking about loot, um, let me just ask you a little bit more and let's try to go a little bit philosophical and beyond yeah. our usual discussions. So do you think that um, we have already figured out most of the possible use cases of NFT technology or do you think there are still some zero to one cases like loot where um, they're just waiting for us to discover? Yeah, um, I, I don't think we're anywhere close to having figured out 
um, NFT talking. I don't think we're like even close, like halfway there, not even close, like a quarter way there. I I don't even think like loot itself is like particular zero to one because, like, and I think a few zero to one because it's different than the NFTs out there. But if you look at what NFTs were supposed to be, like, that's basically what loot was. Like, what NFTs were supposed to be. I don't think NFTs were really initially supposed to just be like pictures on the blockchain. I think that's like a pretty boring use case, something that like wasn't like taking for advantage of crypto. Um, Loot was just like one of the first projects to do that. Uh, I think if you look at stuff like what Pack does, he does some really, really exciting things. We can merge different entities together. Um, you can burn them to create different ones. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot we can do with NFTs, uh, especially as I said before about this idea of composability, this idea of like free access and letting people build whatever they want on top of something that you've already released. That's very interesting. That's certainly very interesting. It seems like the way you describe NFTs is that uh, there are little objects or little atoms, and the things that we're supposed to do with them is some kind of alchemy where we compose them, where we transform them, transmute them, and make new things out of them through the power of smart contracts and, well, um, code. So, yeah, uh, I think, like, I don't think we can think of NFTs as complete products. Thinking of one NFT itself as a complete product. It's kind of like thinking of like one Lego brick as a complete product. Like, no, of course not. Like, yeah, maybe you buy like a special commemorative golden Lego brick as like this memory thing. But the use of Lego bricks is not to look at a single Lego brick. It's to fit them together with everything else. Um, so I think before before these things are built, before we can start fitting them into other things, um, the NFT word is basically just like owning a bunch of disconnected Lego pieces. Uh, when we start connecting them, that's when we'll see some really, really cool stuff happen. That's very interesting. I think um, I think this is my last question. What is the future for Matrix? What is next on your roadmap? When are you launching? And what do you have under your sleeve? Yeah, yeah. So as I touched on briefly before, we just finished up a launch with Wonder Music Group, with Wonder Italian Artists, very small launch, like few rewards, actually just one reward. Um, but we already saw that people want to do these quests. They want to earn things. Um, I think what's next is that we're going to continue doing this. We're going to continue launching products, continue refining the gamification system. And then as time goes on, as phase two goes on, we want to dive into ownership more. Like, how can we give people ownership of these things? What does ownership mean? How can we, like, figure out the legal pieces? How can we make sure you can, like, get dividends? How can we make sure your votes are binding? And then past that, then we really go into that phase where I talk about we can start connecting the Lego block. When we start building Matrix into something that people are meant to build on top of, not just use. When we start building Matrix into something that people are meant to like create offshoots of, not just like use what we've already built. And I think that's when we, you see us like really take off. When it's easy for people to just build whatever they want on top of Matrix. And Matrix just becomes like this platform, this launch base for people to create these like really, really cool things. That is very cool. Thank you so much for joining us, Jay-Z. I think our subscribers are really going to like this. Well, yeah, of if course. you're listening to this, yeah. <laughs> well, if you're listening to this, well, subscriber, please subscribe and, well, uh, turn on notifications, follow Matrix on their Twitter and Discord. And we'll see you all again very soon. Thank you very much, Jay-Z. Thank you so much for having me on.